Welcome to 247 Real Talk. I'm your host, Julian Perry, along with my guests for this episode, Carol Carrion and Dolores Andral. We will be discussing some of the experiences of black women in corporate America. So welcome, Carol and Dolores. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Why don't we start off with you, Carol, uh, with you giving us a little insight into what comes to mind first and foremost when you think of the experiences of Black women in corporate America. Okay. Um, good evening, Julian. I first want to thank you for um, having us um, participate in your podcast tonight. I also want to um, let everyone know the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and then I express the views or opinions of my employer. So now that we got that disclaimer out of the way, <laughs> let's get on the way. Yes. Um, let's see. <sighs> the last few weeks have been a lot. And I guess, you know, with shedding a lot, uh, uh, shedding light on what's happening in corporate what has happened in corporate America what continues to happen in corporate America as it relates to I guess you know um, black men and women and since Dolores and I are both women so we'll be talking about that aspect and it's funny because Dolores and I were just having a conversation because I was telling her about my current role at my company and how um, for my current duties um, there used to be a gentleman that was the head of my department who's no longer there. And he had a director role and I'm currently pretty much doing his job and my job, but I don't have the title. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I work in a company where there aren't too many people that look like me. So, uh, so you sort of wonder why it is that, you know, the opportunities to sort of advance are aren't as readily available to those that are black and brown like me. So what you're saying basically is that you've taken on the responsibility, but they haven't uh, lifted you, so to speak, in the hierarchy of the organization the way they might others. Yeah, it's um, you know it's the same old the same old story. You know, it's, uh, I'm, I find myself that you, it's always a battle. It's always like, uh, cause supposedly when he left, the position was, uh, being phased out. Okay. Well, the position's being phased out, but the duties aren't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how does that, how, how does that work? Yeah. Um, so. Dolores, do you find that you've experienced similar things where you are? You know, it's funny because my journey looks a little bit 
different from Carol's because Carol sort of, you know, started in the corporate world and sort of worked her way up. Whereas um, I started in the corporate world, took a detour, was a stay-at-home mom for a time, was a preschool teacher for a time, and then uh, came back to the corporate world uh, in more of a supportive role as opposed to a career track. But when uh, Carol and I were discussing this, I was like, you know, Carol, things are different since I was like really in the corporate world. And she said, not much has changed. And I think that's important because you're talking about uh, 15, uh, 18 years, and it still hasn't changed when um, it was challenging back then. And we know it was challenging 40 years ago. We know it was challenging 80 years ago. And how is it that it hasn't changed when the world around us is changing, where um, they're now uh, fighting for women to get paid the same as men, yet when it comes to black women, we're not seen, we're not heard, we're not given the same opportunities. And so when I think back to when I was um, in, in, in corporate America and I was on that career track, and I remember I was a business manager at the time. And, and, and back then, they were really trying to hire everyone with a college degree, like even the admin assistant, because they believed in promoting um, from within. So, I, so the assumption was like, even though you start off here, you can sort of get your way up. But one of the girls there, she was surprised that I had a college degree. And I'm thinking, you can't even make a photocopy <laughs> without having a college degree. But yet you think that I'm a business manager dealing with budgets and all of that. And I don't have a college degree. So I think those are some of the not, not only microaggressions, but uh, uh, um, um, implicit biases and um, negative assumptions that we have to jump over. And just when they see us, just when they look at us, they're already making these assumptions. And so even before we're at the table, we can't even get to, you know, through the door because they already have us blocked. Like, no, you don't belong here. So what, what I hear you saying is, uh, I want, and it comes to mind too, because I've heard all the conversations. What I hear you saying is that the first challenge is they will look at you and automatically try to rank your educational level without even asking or inquiring or hearing you open your mouth or hear you speak or even seeing your resume. There's a presumption yep. there yeah. that you belong at a certain level and no higher. Am I correct? Absolutely. It, it, it's almost like if you walk through and they say, no, 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 you belong over there. And you're thinking, how can I belong over there when this is the station I'm supposed to be at? So absolutely. And so even before we can talk, even before we can make our argument, we have to first come across or, or, or um, uh, go over the hurdle of their implicit biases, um, be, uh, their assumptions and all of that. So absolutely. Okay. That, I mean, it sounds like, um, again, things that we hear over and over about the challenges that black women face. And we're focusing on black women for this conversation. Um, you know, as a black man, um, the challenges might be a little different, but they still are tied to the, to the color of my skin. Um, Carol, when you mentioned your, your company before and taking on the duties of someone else, would you also mm -hmm. describe to us the upper hierarchy of your company? What is the mix up? What does the makeup look like? Ethnically? Mm -hmm. um, white men. So it's not just the, in your case, it's not just the white people, but it's even gone to the old boys club of the white men. 
Yeah, I mean, Fleek, I'm looking at the the organizational chart in my head. Yeah. Um, there's probably like any women that are any in any leadership roles are pretty much are like in the HR role. Right, which, which is typical. Typically yeah. you'll find yeah. But yeah. I well my the CIO, he's uh I guess you can say he's a, he's a, well, he's brown. He's not black, but he's brown. Okay. But it's, um, it's, 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 it's predominantly, um, white men. Um, I mean, you know, I like to call it the boys club. Right. But let me ask you a question in today's culture, given the spotlight that we under right now, given the focus on all these, um, disparities and, and given the how vocal we're becoming and everyone's becoming especially this generation i call them generation z um mm-hmm. about you know what's going on with black lives and black people in america do you think that you have the ability within your organization to have an honest and open conversation with the senior staff about this issue I mean, it's funny that you asked that question because I was reading uh, something today that says that it's corporate America um, just talking about, you know, systematic racism and, you know, inequality, or they're actually actively doing something to change what's going on. I mean, because, you you know, you can talk the talk and not walk the walk. Um, So, my company has been, you know, they put made a lot of press releases, has made a lot of statements, um, which is good. But I'm just waiting to see, you know, have them. I want to see them walk the walk. So you think it's so, it's, it's a lot like telling the people, like politicians, telling the people what they want to hear, but you want to see them actually enact the bill. You want to see them actually um, create the atmosphere, create the opportunities, because. You know, if you noticed, in- yeah, I want I want to see like those sort of changes actually take place. I mean, you know, we're what two weeks into everyone sort of realizing that there's been these injustices for 400 years. So I'm going to give it a little time, but let's see what happens. Um, I'm actually part of a, a group, um, a committee at the office. It's called the Culture Culture committee and the idea is the person that started the group is to sort of you know try to change the culture of the company um and we actually had a meeting scheduled this week and i just refused to attend because with all like black lives matter and all the racial injustice i'm just tired of uh, i don't want to be part of telling people how they should act in the office right Right. So you know, I, I, I'm just like tired of trying to tell people, you know, how you should treat other people. Yeah. Like uh, right now, I'm on the bandwagon of just Black Lives Matter. This is this is where I'm focusing on, you know, the people with their issues in the office and what they should or shouldn't be doing, or just being 
um, treating people with respect. I, 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 I'm just, I'm just tired. It was just, it's like, I didn't want to be having that sort of discussion when there are bigger injustices happening in the world. Yeah. Um, you know what? I feel like that. Well, one of the things that I think about too, in, 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 in sort of going along your trend of thought is you've seen every major company at one point or the other over the last two weeks come out with a statement, an equality statement. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is that it, it feels like it, it lacks uh, substance to it. It's, you know, the thing about it is the black dollar is so important to these businesses that, you know, you get the feeling that everybody's saying, you know what, we have to pacify black people, black and brown people now. We have to, you know, come out and we have to sound like we're compassionate and we care because we don't want to lose that dollar. That's so important because we might be a minority, but we're the majority. What do you think, Dolores? I agree. And it's very important. And and before I, I, I go there, I wanted to go back to what Carol has said, because I think one of the problems in corporate America, and this is some of the things that um, they talk about, is that they say, well, we don't have a pool of candidates in which to pull those people to make them CEOs or to make them executives. And no matter if that part, like, like how true that is, in some sense, there is a truth to that because they um, talk about like like uh, in, in terms of STEM, right? It's not that black people, brown people, or even women um, are less able to compete in those fields. It's the fact that by the time they get to them, it's so much harder and they have to do so much work in order to get there. So while we're looking at how can we change corporate America, we actually need to change the education system first so that we are bringing forth the young people so that when they do get to that high school um, age and, and take and are taking those classes there, they're uh, taking the ones that will put them in line to when they go to college, whether it's engineering, whether it's sciences, whether it's business, no matter what it is, that they're going to be prepared. So then they can go and get those jobs and they can start being uh, recruited and promoted to those top tier levels. And I think that's why we keep, it's like this bottleneck. It's because we're not doing the due diligence in the right order. And, and there's a reason why you don't want to educate people. I mean, it's, historic. (laughs) This is why we have systemic racism, because you always want a certain group of people on the bottom. But until we change that, I think we're always going to be underrepresented in those fields. So I want to throw throw a wrench at you. I want to stop you there for a second. I want to give you a different perspective for you to think about for a second. As a Mm -hmm. black man, um, what I have found is looking in in my hierarchy, and I'm you know I'll say it openly. Um, a lot of the black men who are moving up in management, but they don't that don't hold the top positions, are more educated than the people the white people at the top who do. We've got I mean, and that's that's firsthand experience because you know I happen to be in a situation just like that. There's many of myself and other black men that work alongside me and the people that we report to two, three, four levels above us do not have our education, do not have a qualification. Some of them, you, you know, you spend time in, 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 well, I'll spend time in my day, you know, looking at their 
what they've written and correcting it because they can't even write a proper email or, you know, you know, a proper Mm -hmm. memo. So, you know, the education we do have, I mean, and, and it, and it gets to be a bigger conversation and that's, that's where, um, and why these conversations are so important because, you know, this, these last couple of weeks might've started off with George Floyd, but it, it, you know, it's a broader, much broader conversation because, like you said, the education is is another issue, and the part of that is the daunting uh, view that you get when you leave high school and look at going to college and the student loans that are associated with them, knowing that you can go and you can be brilliant and you can get to your master's, your PhD, or whatever, and then you you have this mountain of debt. And no one in corporate America wants to hire you and, and give you the salary they would give somebody you know who is white for you to be able to pay those loans. Now, and, and you're absolutely right about that. And I do agree with you 100%. I mean, it's that we have to be twice as good. That has always existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess my point to that was sort of like in football. Like you see how many, how many people, how many black young men uh, turn out for football that you can't even deny them anymore. And now they're the majority. So it's almost like we have to hit them so hard that they're, they're, they're just no more excuses. And when you have, you know, a hundred people to choose from, you really can't. And you're going to have to say, Oh, I do have to promote this person. I do have to give them the same. And I know exactly what you, you feel about the money. Cause I remember when I was doing the exact same job as somebody, he was leaving the company um, and, and I was taking that position and I got literally 15,000. This is in the nineties, my dude, I got 15,000 less than what he, he got. Wow. And I didn't feel that I could even argue with that because, you know, I had rent to pay. Right, right. right. <laughs> so I was like, I can't, you know, what moral stance can I, you know, I, I couldn't do that. I didn't have, you know, mommy's inheritance or, or grandpapa's who's going to let me live in his house. So I had no choice but to say, okay, you're going to pay me less. All right. I'll yeah. do it, and so and absolutely. So I definitely did not want to. Go ahead, Dolores. Sorry, I, I was going to say I didn't want to minimize that because you're absolutely right. So I'm definitely not trying to minimize it. I'm trying to come up with a game plan <laughs> so yeah. they can't say no anymore. Sorry, Carol. Well, no, yeah. but that example that you gave with the football players is interesting because now, yes, the majority of the players are are you know African American black men. Um, but the owners or the coaches are predominantly still. So it's like, it's like a cycle. It's like we can't win. Because they're very, very good. You know, there are very few um, black coaches or even, I don't think there are any black owners of teams. I could be wrong. I don't follow football, Um, but it's, uh, it's those positions of power or, mm-hmm. or, you know, leadership, it's, uh, I don't know, it, I, I often wonder, is it just, again, is it just not being comfortable? Are they just not comfortable of having the likes of us being in their circle? It, it's just trying to understand the reasoning behind it just always just baffles me. Well, I think, I, I, think I like to think it's, it's yeah. more than just the color of our skin. Well, I think it's, I think something, depending on the generation you're looking at, um, I think it's two things. I think 
first you have the dynamic of old money. So passed down from generation to generation in white people. So it is not, it, you know, it, I'm not surprised that they own so much, even in, in fields where they can own the company and all the people that make their money, the players are black. But, you know, they have the money passed down from generation to generation. And then, you know, I remember I reflect on a, on a podcast I did uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was thinking that it is also the color of our skins because as you look at the older generation, those who are actually, you know, they're truly prejudiced against black. Most of them probably can't even tell you why, because a lot of their wealth was built on the backs of black people. So they really have no, re, no, 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 no reason that they can, they can argue, but they are prejudiced. It's, it's prejudice without reason. I call it. They're just, and there's nothing, nothing we can do at this point based on their age and where they are in life will change that perspective. I, I did two podcasts actually where I reflected on the same thing. And that is about a week and a half ago, I was watching TV and channel four news. And my listeners have heard me say this before. There was a protest of black lives matter in long Island. And during the protests, a group of, uh, I guess, opposing concert or opposing ideology, they came by and they were all white and right in front of Channel 4 News on TV, one guy, a white guy, yells across the road to the, to the, the Black Lives Matter movement, UFNN, on TV, in the middle of these protests at this time. Nothing's going to change how he feels. And chances are, you know, he may be part of the old money and have a company. And somewhere in his company, he employs, you know, black people. But they're never going to make it above a certain level, no matter what they do, not in his presence. Yeah, I agree. There was this, um, you know, I don't know if it's a meme. And anyway, it, it was something about nothing upsets a white man with a nickel than a bl black man with a dime. Yeah. And I think that sort of speaks to the sentiment. And, you know, we also talk about this thing of a pie. And I think they really think that, hey, if you get a bigger piece of the pie, you're going to cut into my piece. And they don't understand that there's the pie is really big enough that we all can get our fill. If we if we work together, if we do like it, because we get something will not diminish. They're getting something. But when you have this link to to how this country was founded. I think until uh, white Americans really just accept what happened, what their ancestors did, and really are just, you know, even an apology to say, I'm sorry, even if it's in your heart, then we can move forward. I think there's a reason why we, and I, I mean, this is more speaking to the religious bunch, but why we confess our sins, because it helps us to move forward. But until we acknowledge our sins and our wrongs and our past, um, past we cannot move forward. And I think that's why we keep circling around to the same racist ideologies, to the same racist behavior. It's because we're not acknowledging truly how horrific slavery was, how horrific um, um, policies like Jim Crow, like uh, slave patrols, like all of those things had to the fabric of this nation. And I think until we're really honest with that, we really won't fully move forward. I agree. Do you think yeah. we're, we're we're getting there? Like, this feels different. 
Well, I something crossed my mind. When, I agree. Yeah, something crossed my mind when um, uh, Carol was speaking because I often think of a story I tell people sometimes that you know we this we have a lot of power if we united if we can ever actually unite. And I think back to something someone said to me one time. They said, you know, there was a time when there was open segregation. And so black people were not allowed to do anything with white people. And so a black man would get up in the morning. He would go out of his house. He would go to the black coffee stand and he would buy a cup of coffee. He would go to the black barber, the black supermarket, the black hairdresser, the black everything. And the money was circulating in the black communities and blacks were becoming wealthy. And, you know, we look at segregation and we, we understand as human beings what, you know, why we, we are happy that that, you know, that that changed. But I think where it comes to, to being united in something that can make a difference, I think that the first day after you know, I think white people realized that black people were getting wealthy and they, they wanted their hands in that pot. They came up and they said, oh, no, you know what? This is wrong. You know, we're going to change it. And then the next morning, just because we felt this freedom, that this, this false sense of freedom, the black man got up and went to the white store, the white barber, the white supermarket, because they could, because, you know, we're free. But in, in its true sense, we have to support our own and unite to be powerful, to make a difference. Well, we can't forget what happened when we did do that, when they did that. Remember, there was the Black Wall Street. There was, what is it, a 35-block um, uh, 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 thriving business, hospital, all of that stuff that was actually destroyed. Right. And, of course, it was based on this because someone went inside an elevator with a woman, whatever the, the lie was that set that up. But that was the race riot, which uh, we, we celebrated, what, 99 years um, this past May 31st. Um, when it started and, and, and there was Ro- Rosewood and there were some other areas where they did the same thing. So I don't think it was simply that uh, uh, these guys got comfortable. I think people were like, oh my goodness, when I have my own, it's destroyed. But if I put my money outside of my community, they, they can't destroy it. And then I could still build myself up. So maybe that's more the sentiment of why they're like, nope, let's not pull together. Let's, let's, let's not live together. Let's not, you know, do these things because there's a fear that people are going to come for, for me and, and for my wealth. And I, and I can understand that. But you know, I mean, the reason I read that reference though, was because I look at today's world and we see certain communities that, and certain races and certain, uh, ethnicities that they they bond together and you see it if you look carefully yeah. you know and and there that fear is less now because the eyes of the world you know are, are, are more focused on what's going on and so um i can understand that fear at that time but i, I made that reference in terms of go, getting up and going to the white store or whatever because you know as we look for change and and a way to to break this chain um I think that there's power in unity now because I don't think we, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think the effect is the same in this day and age uh, um, or the, or the opportunities are there for to be destroyed the way it was back then. And I think that standing that way. And again, I think I'm saying that too, from the fact that 
it, in the reference I made to Generation Z, and that's the people you see marching today for George Floyd. And you look into that crowd and you see black and white and Spanish. They're all a mixture. They, they, they couldn't care less. You know, their, their thoughts and the ideology have changed by generation. And so I think that we, there's, there's an opportunity here to be united against the, the, the old reign that, that exists that says that because you're black and brown, you know, you can't do this or you won't do this. So, that, you know, to make this change, we've got to put pressure on. We've got to demand change because, you know, I, as I look at it, I still recognize that the people in Congress, the people who have the power in numbers to make the changes are still predominantly white. Dolores, you're quiet. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Someone was talking. I, I, I was. I wish I could remember what I was just uh, um, looking at, but they were talking about like um, before, and I think it, it was before. It was after. Uh, black people became free. The enslaved became free where more and more blacks started um, uh, becoming, I think it's like congressmen. And then that's when the rules changed. And that's when they started, cause you know how they sort of layer these and which is why you have sort of like grandfather clauses and all of those things. So they said, Oh, these guys are starting to gain more rights. And so let's layer it and say, if you don't have these qualifications or this background or this, uh, that and the and and the other, but you're absolutely right. Here, here we go back to representation. Here we go back to we need to have a seat at the table. We need to be involved. And and I do think one great thing that I see at this time, and you are so right, the unity. I have never seen so many people who don't look like me, mm-hmm. don't share yes. my background, yes. fighting so hard for people who look like me. And I will say like my current job now, they are actively trying to be not even not racist, like anti-racist. It is amazing. And yeah, it's so new. It's almost like, I think we don't even know where to put it because we haven't seen it at this level, but I think people are tired and they're tired of racism because, and, and, you know, thank God for uh, cameras because when you, are looking at something. And I think that's why George Floyd was different. First of all, it happened during a pandemic where a lot of people are out, out, um, out of work. A lot of people have time on their hands. So I think before we would have seen the 30 second snippet, this time we mm-hmm. watched the whole 10 minute video yeah. and mm-hmm. they don't understand. Like my son's, did not fully understand racism because they were saying, but it doesn't make sense. Why was he stopped? Because he was black. Like it did not make sense to them. And watching George Floyd, they finally got it. Like, wait, all he was was black and that's why he died. And it's, and and I think that's how other people are feeling. They're like, wait a minute. The only thing is he wasn't fighting. He wasn't, you know, being belligerent or anything. All he was doing is pleading. And even that still cost him his life. And so the tide is changing and we have, and, and, and people saw him as a human as opposed to a black man, a big man, a fill in the other adjective. He was human. And I think that is why I like right now I'm very hopeful because I think we are in a different time and space than we ever were in this country. Yes. And, and, and the thing is that, you know, the same thing that um, and, and my podcast right before this one focused on Rashad Brooks. And I have to tell you, um, it, it actually probably got re- yeah, released this morning uh, for listening. 
And I'm, you know, I'm not sure how it will go over simply because I was really angry because I did the podcast and I, and I made it uh, an effort to tell people that I did it based on the information I had then. And then yesterday morning I woke up and I saw this news conference and then I saw the video and I saw this black man 15 feet away with his back turned to this cop and get shot twice in the back. And then he's down the ground and the cop go over him and start kicking him, you know, and, and, and so I, and when I, when I listen to what's going on in Atlanta and, and everywhere around, I realize that the anger is coming from every race, creed and color. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my phone right now and I'm on LinkedIn and this caught my eye. There's a picture of Will Smith and he said, racism isn't getting worse. It's getting film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is important, important to let, you know, the, especially the youth and the Generation Z's coming up that this is not something that just came out all of a sudden and blew up. This was technology giving us the mechanism to capture what black people have been complaining about for forever. And, 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 and now everywhere you turn, there is a there's a video, you know, it's, it's crazy because there was an accident outside my home uh, sometime last year and this guy got hurt really bad. An SUV hit hit him on a motorcycle and I came out and I saw it and eventually I called 911 because what I realized was there must have been about 15 people around and no one was calling 911. They were filming. Now, as bad as that was, I'm making that point to say that you know, now people not getting away with the things they used to. They're not getting away with the, you know, you get to the you get to the hospital, you get to the jail, and you're beaten up and you're dead, and 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 there's only one story. You know, I mean, you look at George Floyd, you look at the way that the cop kind of kept the onlookers at bay, while this cop kept his knee on, the, on George Floyd's neck, and then. I hear uh, 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 an interview on TV after and the lawyer for one of the cops is saying, well, why didn't the onlookers step in and stop it? <laughs> you know, and, and, and to do what? Get shot too? Get, you know, go, you know, what do you do? So, I mean, I know we've digressed a bit from black women in corporate America, but it's all one conversation at the end of the day because, you know, once you start the chain, the change, it's going to be a ripple effect. And it, all it requires is for us to keep pushing and to keep a certain standard too we cannot let up and we have to keep raising our standard because we cannot say that we want to be treated equally in terms of um in in terms of color yes but in terms of jobs and in terms of corporate america if we don't offer equal or better representation of ourselves yes and, and I think you made a great point by saying that even though we sort of um, uh, went divergent and started talking about this, I think it goes to show what we um, deal with every day. And we don't live in silos where we say this is corporate America and this is how it is and this is outside and this is how it is. All of that. We take all of that on our backs with us when we wake up, when we st- put one foot on the floor that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're taking with us. Those are the microaggressions we have to deal with every day that I think most people don't even understand and only start understanding it now, now that things are going viral and they're going viral like literally daily. 
every day it's something else and, 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 and you get to see it almost in real time, the way we feel it. And that's why I, I was saying, like, I love the fact that these, these companies are making changes. People have been critical. Like I heard people being critical about Aunt Jemima, like, oh, my goodness, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And something it's not even enough. It's perfect what they're doing because what it says is they're listening. And we all, activism looks different to everybody. And so we all can't do the same thing. And if that's how they're doing it, I'm certainly applauding them. If the others are saying, I'm going to put money into black and brown communities, I I think that's also great. If they say, I'm going to start recruiting from, you know, HBCUs or I'm going to do this, that's great also because, uh, as they say, Rome wasn't built in a day. It took how long? I mean, 400 years. We have to undo all of that, and we can't undo it in one year. It's going to take a long time, but now that everyone's cognizant of it, now that they're aware, now that they're willing, I think changes are absolutely going to come. Yes, I agree. And, and, and that is one of the reasons, um, although my podcast has, uh, you know, three different categories and areas of focus, that is one of the reasons that I feel it has become a poor, uh, an important part of this, this, this quilt that we are weaving right now, because we all have to lend our voices to the movement. We all have to lend our efforts. We all have to participate and be a part of it in one way or the other, whether you speak out whether you go to a protest, whether you, you know, decide to support you know, black businesses and small businesses, however you do it, every bit of the movement counts. So um, as, we, as we get to the point where we're going to wrap this up soon, because you know, this is a type of conversation that's going to be ongoing. And, and you know, um, I'm sure I would love to have both of you back and guests on my show again. I'd like each one of you, starting with Carol, to leave us with a final thought um, on the either on the issue of Black women in corporate America or just in general in in terms of Black Lives Matter. Well, I'm just going to tell you, Carol actually got disconnected, so you might have to. Uh call her separately and, and get her final thoughts, but I will give mine. Oh, yes. Um, Go ahead. My thoughts are, <laughs> um, my thoughts are that, uh, um, almost to, to almost repeat what I said, like, I, I think there's great allyship. Is that a word, allyship? I think it is. Allies, um, and allies are important. I think uh, sometimes we get caught up in the um, fabric that's purely black like we did not create the problem we're in and I don't think that we will fully get out of it on our own and so I think we have to recognize that we do have allies in this world um, and, and and sort of accept that and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it and I think um, by us showing up and being our best selves like I, I think of 12 years of slave. Um, and I don't know if you've read the book, you know, I, the, the movie's fine, but the book is really the memoir of, 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 of this person. And, and he talks about like, it took him 12 years to finally break free. That's a long time, especially if you were born free, if you were educated and you knew how to write, it is a very long time to then be enslaved. And so it took time for him. And it took, again, a lot of allies, a lot of white allies, because that's how his message was, um, to finally to his family so they could come and get him free and so 
it's it, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So I don't think people should say next time this year we want, you know, 250 or, or 2,500 black CEOs. Like, like that's just not realistic. And so know that that it's a marathon. Know that we have allies and we have to do our best to put our our um, best foot forward and to also do it in a unified manner. It doesn't mean that it's going to look identical, but it means that it's going to be unified for, for a singular goal. And that is, you know, 100% integration, 100% um, part of this country that uh, black people have built. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. Okay, great. Thank you so much for that final thought, Dolores. Um, I look forward to the opportunity of speaking both with you and Carol again, and maybe next time she won't get cut off. But uh, uh, thank, <laughs> <laughs> thank you again, and let's keep the conversation going. Love it. Thanks, Julian. Bye. Bye. I want to say a special thank you to Carol and Dolores for being guests on this show. I also want to thank my listeners for your continued support. You can head over to the website at www.247realtalk.net or check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until the next time, be good to yourselves and each other.